today. Uh, if you don't know it, is uh, Pentecost Sunday. Uh, if you're not familiar with that term, this is the day that we celebrate uh, when the Spirit falls in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And uh, over two, that happened about over 2,000 years ago. And there were 120 people gathered in that room for a prayer meeting. And they met there simply because Jesus told them to meet and to wait for the promise that He was going to pour out on that day. And on that day, the church is birthed. It's the, the birthday of the church, so to speak. And today, uh, 2,000 years later, what started in a prayer meeting with 120 people now numbers over 2 billion people worldwide. But you cannot walk down the street in Lakeland without feeling the impact of that moment. Right? Like there's a, we live in a city where there's a church on every corner. Literally, you can drive down Socrum Loop, I'm sure you have, and you can see churches right across the corner from one another. Uh, and so that moment at Pentecost where the Holy Spirit is poured out, births the church, and then transforms and shapes the world. And tonight I, I want to talk about what does it mean to be uh, Pentecostal? So what, is, what does that actually mean? We talk about it uh, some, but what does it actually mean on my mother's side of my family. I'm a fourth or fifth generation uh, Pentecostal. I have pastors and ministers on that side of my family who are Pentecostal. And I, I, some of you might remember this, but I grew up in the type of um, home where my grandmother uh, was Pentecostal. I mean, we weren't allowed to play cards in her house. Anybody remember that? Right? Although in her old age, she started playing solitaire on the computer. I wasn't sure what the difference was, but we didn't, I didn't bring it up. Right? And then uh, I remember my mother, she never learned to swim. And the reason is because she was raised in a Pentecostal Assembly of God preacher's home, and you didn't go mixed bathing. Anybody remember that, right? You don't, like, and the pastor's kids, right? You don't go, like, you just didn't do it. So they didn't, they didn't get around swimming pools. My grandmother got in trouble. She and my grandfather owned, a, he was a pastor, but then he also owned a little, like, store. And so my grandmother would have to go up and down the ladder stocking shelves, and so he let her wear pants to do that. And boy, some of the people in the church and the community, that's a woman and she's not supposed to be wearing pants. Anybody remember those days as well, right? And so uh, Pentecostals didn't uh, go to the movies. They didn't dance. They didn't go to bowling alley. Some of them still do not. They were different, right? There was something different about them. And tr this is what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about this Pentecost event that makes us different. You see, we are different. The older that I get, I'm coming to that realization. And the more that I study, the more that I'm coming to that realization. When I was a kid, I, I grew up in a heavily Baptist area of the country. And so when people would come to you and ask you, what's your church like, right? Like the, the response was like, well, we're, Bab we're like Baptists, but we speak in tongues. That was kind of the way that we thought of ourselves. But the older that I get, the more that I'm learning that to be Pentecostal is to be something completely different. Well, one person put it this way, that Pentecostalism is not the condiment, the ketchup that you sort of put on your hot dog. It's not a condiment, it's not an add-on, it is a spice that flavors the whole dish. I'm going to say that again, it's not just an add-on, it's not a condiment that you just sort of spread on your, your hot dog, it's a spice that flavors the whole dish. And to be Pentecostal is to be different, is to think different, is to, we have our own distinctive, uh, distinct theology, distinct way of looking at the world, a distinct way of relating to God, and I want us to look at that this evening. The church, our, our forefathers, they were different, but I, I don't want to talk about, uh, you know, it's just not about not dressing certain ways or not doing certain things. You know, for years, we made the difference about what we couldn't, we didn't or could not do. And there is something to personal holiness that needs to be revived in our day, I believe. 
But I don't think that that's what really makes us Pentecostal. It's not just in our behavior. It's about the deep down change that the Holy Spirit wants to make in our lives. And for too long, we, we focused so much on outward behavior that we didn't think about the inward. And now, uh, sometimes we focus so much on the inward, we don't let anybody, like, don't, don't question my outward behavior, bless God, right? Don't judge me. Who are you to say? And, and the truth is, we need both that, that if Jesus and the Holy Spirit is really working on the inside, there's some changes that take place on the outside. There, there have to be. And so I want us to, to look at this, this evening in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read a long passage. Uh, I just think that it's appropriate to read the entire uh, account here. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They being uh, Jesus' disciples, about 120 of them gathered together in this upper room. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. I'm going to stop right there for just a second just to get you, you grasping what's going on. So I have one of those um, like ring cameras, and every once in a while you'll get this like uh, alert that says like, I heard a loud noise over off of like Sokram Loop. What's going on over there, right? And imagine, imagine if you're, you're sitting in your home and you hear something loud and how you jump up and you kind of like, you go to see what happens. That's sort of the picture of what's taking place here. There's this loud, mighty, rushing wind and this tongues of fire have descended and these people that are out in this crowd, they begin to hear what's going on there. What is it that's going on over there? And they begin to move towards that to try and figure out exactly what is happening. And so if you can kind of put yourself in that, your shoes of those people in the crowd and you hear this loud sound, almost like a freight train, this mighty rushing wind. If you've ever been through or heard a tornado or a hurricane, this rushing wind and, it's, and they're, they're trying to figure out what it is that's going on. In verse 7, they, they move over there and then they're amazed. In verse 6, at the sound they come together and they're bewildered because they, they hear them speaking in their own languages. And they were amazed and astonished, and they were saying, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed, and they were perplexed, and they were saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked them and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, verse 14, stands up with the eleven, lifts his voice, and addresses the crowd. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These people are not drunk. It's only the third hour of the day, only nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. 
And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Verse 21, And it will come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. This Jesus was delivered up according to the plan and foreknowledge of God, and you crucified him and killed him at the hands of lawless men. And God raised him up, loosening him from the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand, and I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced, and my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will fill me with gladness with your presence. Brothers, I say to you with confidence that David both died and was buried. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with him on an oath that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are witnesses, being therefore exalted to the right hand of God, and having received the Father from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He's poured out this that you yourselves are seeing now. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he said to who he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel know, therefore, be certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus you crucified. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what do we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone on the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Verse 41, So those who received the word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we're so grateful for the day of Pentecost when you poured your spirit out upon all flesh. God, tonight we pray that you would speak to us, that you would transform us, that you would change us, that you would help us to walk out of here one step closer to Jesus than when we came in. And we give you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to just, uh, just this, make just a simple point tonight is that as Pentecostals, we are different. But what is it that makes us different? And I want to look at this text and I want to kind of survey some through the book of Acts as well to point out what makes us different. First of all, Notice in this passage that the Spirit enables them to speak differently. So we have uh, this group of 120 people who had, have been scared to death of what's going to happen after Jesus has been died and buried and he's been resurrected and he's ascended into heaven and they're really not sure what's going on. They only know uh, Jesus told us to stay in Jerusalem and wait for this thing that he's promised. We don't even know exactly what that is or exactly what that looks like. He says it's the Holy Spirit. We're just kind of going to go wait and we're going to see what happens. And so they go and they wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And this group of people, after the Holy Spirit is poured out, begin to speak with relevance and with boldness. With relevance and with boldness. If you look throughout the book of Acts, you find that over and over and over again, the Holy Spirit enables them and gives them the right word for the right moment, for the right people at the right time. That, that they begin to speak with a relevance. And, and actually, one person said that good communication is the right message to the right person at the right time. 
And so they begin to have, the Holy Spirit begins to empower these people who were once scared, who were once uh, afraid. You look at Peter. While we all know he denied Jesus, and now he's preaching the sermon that we just read. What is it that happened? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And one, one pastor put it this way, the, this is a reminder that the Holy Spirit's not a reward for good behavior, but a gift for those who wait on Jesus. That, the Holy, that Jesus wants to pour out His Holy Spirit upon us. And Peter is empowered to speak with boldness. Acts 4.13 sums it up well. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That this group of people now comes out of this upper room with this sense of, of boldness. You see them praying, and they don't pray for God to take away the suffering. They don't pray for God to take away the persecution. They say, Lord, hear the threats of people and give us boldness. Let us speak your word with great boldness. And so there's this, there's this certainty, this, this uh, not an arrogance, but a, I know what I'm talking about because I've seen the resurrected Lord and His Spirit's empowering me. And so when I'm talking, there's a, there's a certainty to it. There's a, I'm not afraid. I'm not, I'm not shying back from it. It doesn't mean that they were abrasive. It doesn't mean that they were rude. It doesn't mean that they shoved their way in. It just means they weren't afraid to say what needed to be said when it needed to be said. There was a boldness to these men. And then secondly, not only did they speak with boldness, but they spoke with relevance. Did you, do, you read, do you see what happened as Peter speaks? What does it tell us? The crowd hears it, and what happens? They're cut to the heart. Peter speaks here on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people come to know Jesus. In Acts 4, he speaks to a crowd in the temple, and thousands more come to know Jesus. All throughout the book of Acts, you can trace it. As these men get up to speak, and they begin to speak with boldness, they also speak with relevance. And whatever they're saying, people will go, wow, I, I need that. Like, I've, I've got to respond to that. Like something, like something happens within people that goes beyond just mere words and mere rhetoric, and they go, whoa, like you're, you're, saying, like you're saying something that makes a difference. And as Peter, on the day of Pentecost, speaks, this crowd goes, what do we need? How do we respond to this? What do, we, what do we need to do? Because something like I feel something inside like I'm cut to the heart There's something going on inside of me and I need to respond And so they speak with boldness and with relevance listen the Holy Spirit wants empower wants to empower me and you to speak differently He wants to empower us to speak differently And I and we're not just talking about tongues here The Holy Spirit it's not just a it's not just about tongues although that is part of what he does he wants to empower us with boldness and with irrelevance. Listen, there are people in our community, your neighbors, your family members that have real, legitimate needs that we need to speak into. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to use you and use me to be bold and to speak into those situations and also to speak with irrelevance. What, what good is it to speak a bold word when somebody doesn't really need it? What good is it to speak a, a strong word if somebody doesn't really need it? What good is it to have a relevant word if you're not bold enough to say it? And so we need both. We need, we need to be able to speak into real situations. Listen, in some ways, we have, we have a, our, our uh, work cut out for us because the world speaks a different language than you and me. I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, we don't exactly live in a godly culture anymore. I'm not sure that we ever did. But we lived with a bunch of people who faked it for a long time. Let's just be honest. Let's be real about it. Right? And so they, they sort of knew what we were saying because everybody was sort of in on what was going on in churches. But that's not the case anymore. People, aren't, people don't know what we're talking about anymore. 
And so we need to learn to listen like a good missionary and speak with the language of the people, relevance to them. Uh, One of the best illustrations I've ever heard of this was, uh, some of you may have heard this story, but one of the uh, former presidents of Southeastern University, uh, Dr. Mark Rutland, he was the president when I was there, he tells a story of he went on a mission trip to Mexico. And he's down in Mexico, and he's supposed to preach that night, and he doesn't speak Spanish very well, other than he took a little bit in high school. And how many of you know, like, you, you take it in high school, that doesn't mean, unless you're Josh Bell, that doesn't mean that you can learn to speak it fluently, right? So, so he, goes, he goes up to, to get ready to preach, and the longer, they're waiting on the translator, and the translator doesn't show up, like he's not coming. And so they're going, what in the world are we going to do? We have no one to translate. I'm supposed to preach. What am I going to do? And the, they keep waiting through the service. You know, the worship's going on, and he's kind of like looking around. Where's the translator? And the translator does not show up. It's come stops for him to preach. What's he going to do? So he stands up and gets behind the pulpit, and he thinks that he's going to kind of like fake his way through it as best he can with maybe his little semester or two of high school Spanish, right? And he opens up his mouth and he starts speaking fluent Spanish. And he's been speaking fluent Spanish ever since. What, what happened there? The Holy Spirit empowered him to speak with boldness and with relevance. If he got up in front of that crowd and started speaking English, it's not relevant to them. They don't understand it. They don't know what's going on. They can't they can't, they can't comprehend it. He can, he can preach the best message in the world, and they would have been completely lost. But what does the Holy Spirit do? He begins to give him, he gave him boldness, and he gives him relevance. And the Lord wants to give you insight to be able to say the right thing to the right person at the right time, in the right way, so that he can work in their life. And I, I want to encourage you, don't, don't feel like God can't use you. Like that, that's part of what it means to be a Pentecostal as well, is to know that all of us, like God can use you. But he, what he wants us to do sometimes, I think, is just sort of like pay attention to what he's doing and step out and say something. And it doesn't mean you have to have it all together, but it means that if we'll listen, the Holy Spirit wants to give us discernment and he wants to give us the right word for the right people at the right time. He wants to give us those words that cut to the heart and that transform people's lives. And so to be Pentecostal is to speak differently. It is to speak with boldness and with relevance to the problems and the issues of our day. It is to speak with boldness and relevance on issues like racism and like abortion and like uh, sexuality and all of the, like we have a word to give that the Spirit wants to give and we need to engage those conversations with boldness and with relevance. We, We should not shy away from tough conversations because the Holy Spirit wants to use us to speak into those conversations in a way that brings life and brings healing. And so he gives us this ability to speak differently. And then secondly, he gives them, the Spirit gives them the ability to hear differently. If you notice the passage here, some theologians think that the miracle is not that these men spoke in tongues, but it tells us that the, the people who gather around in the crowd, they hear them speaking in their own language. So there's some debate among theologians as to whether these people were actually speaking those languages or they were just speaking in tongues and then the people on the other end were hearing it like God, the Holy Spirit was sort of translating. So that what they heard was what they needed to hear. These people here are in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost and they're here from all over the world. The text tells us that. It lists places all over Africa and and Rome and Europe and all sorts of places. These people have come there. Now they're all Jews but they are many there from far away. Acts 2, 5 tells us now that we're dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. 
So imagine it's an international scene, and there's people here, uh, around here, and the Spirit shows up, enabling the listeners to hear the wonders of God in their own tongue. So the Spirit shows up. Listen, why would God enable them to hear the wonders of God in their own language? The common language of the time would have been Greek, and like 90% of the crowd, 95% of the crowd would have spoken Greek. Why, can't, why couldn't they have just spoken Greek? That would have been the common language of the day. One commentator said this, If they wanted to merely communicate with one another, they would have spoken Greek. Everyone who traveled the Mediterranean world knew Greek. Why does the Holy Spirit not use the common language everyone knows? Because it was important for each to hear the message in their own language. That they not only understand that the message would get to the core of their background and experience. Those of you who speak two languages, you know when you speak in your second language, it ain't the same as speaking in your first language. And so the, the Holy Spirit wants to get to the core of their background. One can learn a language to accomplish a purpose, but that's not what God does. God seeks understanding and revelation. Perhaps the Spirit does not communicate in spite of our different languages and experiences, but through them, interpreting them. And the Holy Spirit moves, and instead of speaking the common language, He begins to speak to individual hearts and individual lives in an individual way. And they begin to, He begins to enable them to hear differently what they didn't hear before. They begin to hear the wonders of God in their own tongue. And this was a miracle. But not only were those listening to the crowd, did they hear differently. If you survey your way through the book of Acts, you'll see that the disciples now hear differently. All the way through, from beginning to end, you see the Spirit moving and speaking, and they start to hear things they didn't hear before. They start to hear, in, in Acts chapter 8, Philip starts to hear that he needs to go over and talk to this Ethiopian eunuch. In Acts chapter 9, Ananias is told that this new convert, Saul of Tarsus, Tarsus is coming to his home. In Acts 10, Peter is led by the Spirit and directed to take the gospel to the Gentiles. In Acts 13, the Spirit speaks and sends out missionaries. In Acts 16, Paul is directed to Macedonia, and the gospel enters Europe for the first time. You could survey the book of Acts and do an entire study on just what is when is the Spirit speaking and how are these people responding? They're hearing in ways that they did not hear before. It's like their ears got tuned and when they got filled with the Spirit, it's like their ears tuned to the right frequency and now they're available to what the Spirit is saying and doing. And to be Pentecostal is not only to speak differently, but it is to hear differently. The Spirit wants us to hear differently. What does Revelation tell us? Let the let, let he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know, if we pay attention, the Holy Spirit is speaking. I, I, I probably beat this horse to death, but it is something I think is so important. We live in a world full of distractions. I mean, crazy amounts of distractions we have not had in, in, in generations, maybe in the history of the world. And I think in order for the Holy Spirit to, to speak, man, we got to put some of those things down and we got to stop and we got to learn to listen. Uh, Dallas Willard, a uh, great philosopher and, and theologian uh, and a professor, he passed away a few years ago, but he said this, that uh, one, one of the, the, the worst things for our uh, walk with Jesus is hurry, that we're always in a hurry. We're always trying to move. We're always trying to get something done. And he said, we've got to learn to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our life. And that doesn't mean we're not busy, right? Busyness and hurry are two different things. 
right? You can have a lot of things to do and not be in a hurry. But we live in an age where the spirit is uh, a spirit of hurry. We're always rushed. There's always a deadline. There's always something to get to. There's always, there's always somewhere to go. There's always, there's always something to be done. And we're in a hurry always, everywhere. And we're anxious and we're wore out and we're tired. And I really think we've got to learn just to sit and just let the spirit speak. That the, these, this, you see, the spirit is already working. This is, a, this is a core Pentecostal belief, too, that the Spirit isn't just active in our congregation, in our church services. He's not just active when we see, like, the Spirit is active in every corner of the world. Like, he's, he's already working in that hut in Africa, in South America, that place where no one's heard the name of Jesus. Like, the Spirit's in those spaces and places already working. And he's already working on your coworker, your family member, your lost son, your lost, like the Holy Spirit's already working. And the question is this, is what is he doing and how can we join him? That, that is what evangelism is. Evangelism is not me knocking on the door, uh, handing out a track. Those are great things. But what evangelism really is, is what is the Holy Spirit already doing and how can I join him? And we'll only know what he's doing if we slow down long enough to listen. And so the Spirit enables us to hear differently. I don't know if anyone else is guilty of this, but sometimes my wife and my kids, they'll try to talk to me, right? And I might be distracted. Maybe I've got a, I got a problem I'm trying to solve, or I'm walking, watching something on TV, or I'm uh, busy doing something. And so they'll say something, and sometimes they'll say something important, and I'll say, yeah, great, you know? Good, yes, I'll say yes to something. My kid will ask me something. And I'll say yes to something, and I don't know what I'm saying yes to. And then... That comes to anybody that come back to bite you later, right? What they need in those moments is not, is they need me to slow down and to put down what I'm doing and to pay attention. And the Holy Spirit wants us to slow down and put down what we're doing and pay attention. Like he's, he's, he's already, like, I feel like we wear ourselves out sometimes trying to do stuff that the Holy Spirit's like, I'm, I'm like way ahead of you on that. Just stop, slow down, listen to me, and we can, we can make this happen a lot easier. But we, we think we have to do it, and we want to do it the hard way most of the time. And so we bang our head against the wall trying to get something done, and all the while maybe we just need to sit at his feet for a minute and hear what he has to say and then go listen. Maybe we need to slow down and listen and hear what the Spirit's saying. And not just what the Spirit's saying, I think we need to legitimately listen to other people. What, what's the Holy Spirit saying through your unsaved neighbor? Like, what's he doing in his or her life? What, what's the Holy Spirit doing in the life of your prodigal son or your prodigal daughter? What, 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 is, what are they saying? I think we need to listen to, to them, and we also need to listen to one another. I, I really believe that the space between us, especially as believers, is where God really works and moves. That's why it's important for you to come to church. Like there, There's something that happens when you physically show up, and God works between us. And you can't, you can't make that happen online. Like, if you have to go online because you're sick or something like that, like, totally get it, understand. But there's something that happens when we come together that ha- physically, when we're together, the space between us where God shows up. And, and the word media, right, is, is really comes from the word in the middle, like mediate. And when we throw media between us and other people, like, it's a barrier sometimes to what I think sometimes God wants to do. Not that He can't use that, I think that He does. But that's, that's like a... It's like trying to survive off a vitamin. What's a vitamin? It's a supplement, right? You don't, you don't just take a vitamin and then not eat a, eat a meal, right? And anybody, you with me? Like you don't just take a vitamin and not eat a meal. It's a supplement. And I think that all of the technology and all the stuff, there's supplements to person-on-person relationship where the Holy Spirit works. 
But too many people have abandoned person-on-person relationship, and we wonder why, where's God gone? He's He's right there where we left him, in the space between us. And we have to learn to slow down and to be present. And this is hard. This is hard for us. Preaching to myself here as much as I am to you. We have to slow down. We have to learn to be with each other. We have to learn to listen to one another, listen to the lost, listen to what the Spirit's saying. And the Holy Spirit wants to give us ears to hear what He's saying, what He's doing, where He's working. We have to slow down. So not only does the Holy Spirit enable us to speak differently, He enables us to hear differently, and then He also enabled these people to see differently. He enables them to speak, to hear, and to see differently. The apostles here see the Scriptures differently. So they, they grew up Jewish, and they know the Old Testament, man. They, they know their stuff. They, they went to synagogue, and they've had this ingrained in them. So they know their Old Testament. But you look at Peter's sermon here, and you look at the Gospels, and you look at the book of Acts, and you look at the rest of the New Testament, and they're taking Old Testament scriptures now and, and using them in light of Jesus. That the Holy Spirit, it's almost like uh, they put on some new glasses and now they see everything clearly for the first time. That the Holy Spirit enables them to look back on Scripture and go, I think that's about Jesus, or I think that's about this, and we should apply that here. And there's this new way of seeing and of listening to what the Holy Spirit is doing. Peter is able to pull things out of Scripture that he missed before or didn't find applicable. How many times did he read Joel? I don't know. How many times did he read Joel and never put, put it together? But as the Spirit empowers him on the day of Pentecost, he reads it. He, it comes to his mind. He, he heard it somewhere in synagogue years ago, and it comes to his mind, and he goes, this is what Joel was talking about. This is the outpouring of the Spirit. And he gets up and he preaches, and he sees the Scripture for the first time clearly. Not only the Scriptures, the Old Testament, but the words of Jesus. They begin to, they begin to come to life in a way that they had not come to life for them before. That they begin to see things in, in what Jesus has said and go, oh, that, that's what he meant. And it starts to dawn on them what, God, what Jesus was trying to tell them. They see Scripture differently. And then not only that, they see people differently. The first thing, one of the first things the Spirit does is begin to break down racial and gender prejudices from, from the get-go. Notice what Peter says, the prophecy from Joel. Sons and, emphasis here, daughters will prophesy. In a male-dominated patriarchal society, sons and daughters are going to prophesy. It, young and old will see dreams and vision. Slaves are going to be used by God, even on your male servant and your female servants. And so all these gender and hierarchical structures that the society had set up, the Holy Spirit starts to move right in, starts to level the playing field and say, no, I'm going to use anyone I want to use. The Holy Spirit has always been active in the world, but in the past the Holy Spirit worked on individual people for individual purposes. Now God pours out His Spirit on a bunch of people, slave, free, male, female, young, old, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. You keep moving forward in the book of Acts and you see the Spirit breaking down walls between Jews and Gentiles and Samaritans. The people that they thought was beneath them, now they're fellowshipping with them, breaking bread with them. Peter sums it up this way in Acts chapter 10. Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. They see people differently. Society has said, see them one way, and the Spirit comes in and says, no, you see them this way. In Acts chapter 14, notice what Paul does. 
He sees a man that has faith to be well in Acts chapter 14, verse 8. Now at Lystria, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet, being crippled from birth, and he'd never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looked at him intently, and seeing that he had the faith to be made well, he said in a loud voice, stand up, upright on your feet, and he sprang up and began walking. And so the Holy Spirit's working, helping them to see one another differently, helping them to see the society has said this, and the Spirit's moving and saying something different. You see, God wants us to see the world differently. God wants to bring the Scriptures alive to us. The Spirit wants to empower us to see one another differently. There was a, a, a story about a friar who returned to a monastery after his, he'd gone on a 30-day retreat. And he's at breakfast the next morning, and he was interrogated by this grumpy old monk. And he complained to him, We've been working like slaves while you've been away on your retreat. And look at you, you don't look any different than when you went away. And the old friar responded to him, You're quite right, I probably don't, but you look different. See, when we're in the presence of God, maybe sometimes we don't look any different, but the way we see people starts to change. You see, we live in a society that's polarized us like never before. You're a Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal, uh, white, black, Latino, Asian, whatever. We're, we're separated, and while diversity is good, and I get all of those things, and those groups testify to diversity and beauty within God's creation, the culture often wants to stick us in this group and then tell us we're not allowed to like or associate with that group over there. And one of the main things I think the Spirit is doing, and we must, ca we must catch it in this moment. If we miss it, I think we miss, we miss a grand opportunity. The Spirit's saying, like, no. I pour the Spirit out on whoever I want to. And I, I, and I, and I move in ways that are beyond your understanding. And the Spirit works to break down our walls. The society says, you can't, you can't talk to them. They voted differently than you. And the Spirit comes in and says, no, that we are to, we're to love one another. And that, that the, the Holy Spirit's working to draw all people, the, all creation, into God's kingdom. Like, that's, what he, that's what He does. This is, he works to point everyone, all creation, to Jesus. Like, he's moving us forward to a moment when all things will be made new. And he comes in and breaks down walls. And if the book of Acts teaches us anything, it's that God's Spirit is at work. When we look at people, may we celebrate the diversity that God has given us. But may we remember that they are people made in God's image. They are an image bearer. And may the Spirit enable us to see with eyes of compassion and understanding. And may we listen instead of shout. And may we be gentle instead of angry. Listen, anger is not a fruit of the Spirit. Some, like somebody needs to hear that. Anger is not a fruit of the Spirit. It's okay to be angry about stuff, but we got to remember when the Spirit works, what does He bring? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's, that's what the Spirit does. And so if we can't respond to people different from us with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control... We might want to check ourselves. Like, what spirit's really at work in our lives? Are we, are we following society and the way that it says to do things, or are we following the spirit? Because where the spirit shows up, those things show up. Like, not just the power, we want that too. But when the spirit shows up, not just the power shows up, but like those changes show up in our lives. And if those changes aren't showing up in our lives, I question really what good is the power? I, I mean, I don't 
don't mean to, I know that's kind of blunt, but like, I, I grew up in this thing and I get so tired of seeing people who operate in the power of the Spirit and they are mean and hateful and rude. Like, what, what gives? If the Spirit's really working, like, where's, where's your patience? Where's your joy? Where's your love? Where's your gentleness? Where's your self-control? Like, the Spirit wants to work in our lives to, to bring about, to break down the walls. The Pentecostal movement as we know it today was started about 100 years ago, a little over 100 years ago, in a place uh, in Los Angeles, in a place called Azusa Street. Maybe you're familiar with it. And this one-eyed black man named William Seymour really led the revival. And one of the, the famous quotes that came out as the revival was starting was this, that the color line is washed away in the blood. That blacks and whites and Latinos and, and women and men and uh, rich and poor and everyone comes there and the Holy Spirit's moving. But a sad testament to our movement is this, is that not long after that we started splintering off into white groups and black groups and Hispanic groups and you see, we, it, it's hard for us to, to stick with what the Spirit's doing sometimes when our culture is saying, do something different. But man, may we, may we come back to being people that realize that the Holy Spirit breaks down walls. And He breaks down barriers. And He gives us love and patience and kindness and gentleness. And it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or young or old or male or female or wherever you find yourself. The Holy Spirit wants to pour Himself out upon us. And He wants to bring us together as the people of God. And so the Spirit calls us, empowers us to speak differently. To speak with gentleness and relevance and boldness. Addressing the needs of our world and bringing healing to the broken. He calls us to hear differently, to genuinely listen to what the Spirit is saying to us and what the Spirit is saying to us through our neighbors and the lost and hurting around us. We are to see differently. We are to see people not based on their skin color or gender or political affiliation, their net worth, the clothes they wear, or the home they live in. Instead, we see people as made in the image of God, people who deserve love and deserve to be included in the family of God. And so this is what it means to be Pentecostal, is not simply to sit in a service and speak in tongues, although that is part of it. It is not simply to come to a church that calls itself Pentecostal and claim to be Pentecostal. It is to see differently, to hear differently, to speak differently, empowered by the Spirit. And as the Spirit works in those ways, what starts to happen is the gifts of the Spirit start to flow out of our lives. That the tongues start to happen. That healings start to manifest. That the fruit of the Spirit starts to show up. And we start to love people. But at its core, what the Pentecostal, uh, what, what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us is empower us to speak differently, to hear differently, to see differently, to give us new eyes and new ears and a fresh voice. Because there's a world that is broken. It's broken. And it needs us. Man, it needs us. And it, it doesn't just need a good... It doesn't just need a good Sunday service. It doesn't, just need to, it doesn't just need for us to come and feel good. What it needs is for us to be empowered by the Spirit to speak and hear and see differently and to engage a world that's lost and broken and hurting and bring Jesus to it. One of the key, key uh, messages of the book of Acts is this, is that Jesus is raised from the dead and He's very much at work through His Spirit. And they were witnesses of that. that, was, that was, that's primarily what they talk about. Jesus is risen, and we've seen it, and the world is different, and you ought to get on board with it. That's, that's the, if I could sum it up, that's the message. And that is still our message. 
that empowered by the Spirit, we say, because Jesus is risen, the world is different. And I see differently, and I hear differently, and I speak differently, and you can too. That, that, is, that is the message. That, that, that people don't have to be bound or broken or hurting any longer. Because if Jesus is really risen and His Spirit is really working, then anything is possible. Anything is possible. But we must remember that Pentecost is not about us having a good service or, or feeling good about ourselves or experiencing God for ourselves. It's not about you. Although these things are great, it is about people that are broken and hurting. It is about God. It, it, like Jesus is the center of this thing, and He's working to draw all men to Himself. And He's pouring out His Spirit all over, the, all over this world. And He wants us to join in on what He's doing. Thank you.